Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. As always, I am your host, Sal Bono, and today my next guest is someone you've heard on Be In Sports, Paramount Plus, and is a trailblazer in his field. Please welcome to the show, Inter, an Arsenal supporter and pundit, George DiMatellis. Welcome, George. The crowd goes wild. No, I'm just playing. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, carving out a little bit of time for me there. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for carving out a lot, a uh, little bit of time. I know you're an insanely busy guy and with a very, very like robust life. And I can't wait to dive right into it. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on. And obviously, I'm really excited to have you here. Someone whose work I greatly admire. And as stated in the intro, you're a pundit for BN and Paramount. But long before you began a career in broadcasting, you were in the military. So before I mm -hmm. ask my question, thank you for your service. But how did you transition from the military to broadcasting and specifically soccer broadcasting? It, it took a while. It took a while. I got out of the Air Force in 1999 and I basically went to school. I went to college, did community college for a while and then eventually transferred to University of Miami where I graduated. It's all about the U305 till I die. Go Canes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to say that every time when you talk about University of Miami and uh, over the course of that time, I got into broadcasting on the school's radio network radio station, which is WVUM 90.5. So I was doing that and I did a hip hop show. I did a world music show. I did some stuff on and some sports stuff with uh, baseball games, the college baseball team and soccer. And I just met the right people. I got an internship at Gold TV nice. and that kind of started things off. In, in the soccer broadcasting career. But actually, I did my internship at Gold TV. When I graduated in 2004, I didn't get a job. So I had to work, for lack of a better term, a normal job. I was a bartender for a while. I did front desk manager for a while. But me and another colleague of mine, Juan Arango, and another guy, Mike Lopez, we did a podcast called Mad About Football. So even when I wasn't in the communications, in the broadcasting, I still was doing... I still had my foot in the game, for lack of a better term. And then in 2010, I had a chance to go to Gold TV freelance on the weekend. And at that time, I was doing that on the weekend, and I was the front desk manager of a hotel in Hollywood, Hollywood Beach, Monday through Friday. And that was right after the South Africa World Cup. And then in April of 2011, uh, somebody left, and they're like, George, do you want to do Gold TV, work with us full time? And that... I said, yeah, because I'd rather do that than have people yell at me at the front <laughs> desk for, you know, for shit that I didn't know or do. You know what I'm saying? Excuse my language. So, good. Okay. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And that's where it started. So between 1999 and 2010, I had to go to school, college, uh, various jobs while still having my foot in the game and still having, a, you know, a little bit of of uh, entrance into the, the the world of communications and soccer. And then eventually my career kind of just took off from there in, 20, in 2010, 2011. It, that, that's a testament to the hustle and the nature of this beast. Cause it, I, I feel like so many people I talk to, including myself, like that journey just sounds so similar. Uh, yeah. but, it's, but it's also just like, you're never letting that dream die. Now, obviously, you said that, you know, you were doing a football podcast uh, on on the side with your buddies. You know, what was it about that at that time? Because in you're talking early 2000s, mid 2000s, mm -hmm. 
there was nothing here in the States, like in terms of like, it was a desert in a lot of ways for soccer content. So as almost like a pioneer in that, just in that alone, you know, what was that like? Did you think that like, no one's going to listen to this or it's like, this was just a way to exercise that those demons inside that like, I got to get this out. Like I've got to talk about this. There are got to be other like-minded people. The internet's a big place. Like let's talk, you know? Yeah. So was that part of that idea? I, I think so. I think so. I think it was more so the fact that me and my friends, we just like talking about it, yeah. you know? And it actually started when I was at WVUM as a student at UM before uh, I graduated, me, Juan Arango and Mike Lopez, we actually did a show on the radio station, the, the student radio sh- station for an hour talking about soccer because we all three of us, we clicked up, we like soccer, we wanted to talk about it. We're like, nobody's talking about it. And student radio stations, it's not like regular radio stations where you have to come, oh, you're a student? Okay, fill in this application. (laughs) Yes. Because they need paperwork for whatever reason. You fill out this application and then they give you a time slot. It's not a a complicated thing at all. So we, we, we did that. And then when we graduated, obviously we couldn't do it anymore. So we just kind of, took that and transitioned to the podcast so it was just three guys really who wanted to talk about soccer and the podcast world was just starting to open up like you said it was a desert back then so we were it was just opening up and we started doing it and it just blossomed for there all three of us myself Juan Arango and Mike Lopez are now broadcast professionals so that was so that was our beginning of of that journey but yeah like you said it was a desert but it was basically I mean look I'm not the brightest bulb in the box so I try to keep it simple and it was just three guys wanted to talk about soccer. We couldn't do it on the student radio station anymore. And this technology is coming out. And that's how it progressed. But obviously, we did want to get it out because we loved to talk about it. And we felt like there was, a, a, I don't know if it was a market because we didn't make any money off of it. But just was something that we could do that we knew other like-minded people who had the ideas and wanted to talk about it on the air. For sure. For sure. When were you consciously like bitten by the bug, if you will, of falling in love with this game? Ooh, it'd have to be when I was a kid. I was probably like four or five years old, six years old when I, I actually played as a little kid. I wasn't any good, but I played as a little kid in like an optimist down here in South Florida. So probably that's when it really hit me that, hey, I, I really like this is my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. And my parents are from Haiti. I'm the first generation born in the States. And that's Football, soccer is the number one sport in Haiti. Oh, wow. Okay, because yeah. I was going to get to that later on. Mm-hmm. All right, well, t- okay, yeah. We'll so that, that kind of implanted the seed right there. All right, all right. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. And to but I, I, I got to tell, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I never good. thought I would be a broadcaster doing this. And this is, I still to this day, I'm like, wow, I'm sitting here in this booth talking about soccer and getting paid for it. Like, I, I still can't believe it sometimes because it was never a dream. Like when I was a kid growing up, I never thought, I could be, I never thought it was a, a realistic career opportunity. I just thought I wanted to be, I don't know, a, a firefighter or, or I don't know, whatever other career or other occupation. I never thought that I'd be doing this for a living. It's, it's still a surprise to me. Does it, I'm happy that like you still have those pinch me moments. Does that still get you excited? Because the game has changed so much in our lives. You're only two years older than me. And we've seen this go from low scoring games to now high scoring yeah. games. And now everything's a little more cookie cutter. And uh, I miss the, and I, and again, like not to sound like the old man yelling at the cloud, <laughs> but that's what I am essentially um, is, is that 
I miss the badasses of the sport because you're almost not allowed to be a badass anymore. And, you know, it's it's like it's why I will always defend Mario Balotelli for whatever Mario still does. I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's <laughs> the same thing with Zlatan. It's just like those characters are rare these days because everything is so formulaic and calculated. As this game has changed, do you still find yourself falling in love with it? Or do you find yourself like, all right, you still have those pinch me moments and you get to do something that you love, but it's a little bit different. I'm going to be the old man on the door. You don't have to do it. I'll do it for you. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I appreciate yeah, it. I'll do it for you. <laughs> Misery loves company, my friend. Yes, yeah, well, you got good company there, brother, because I'm telling you, I'm, I'm kind of like that. I do miss the old days, uh, the personalities. I think that the game is still is watered down. There's just way too many competitions and yes. way too many fixtures. Yeah. It's watered down. So the quality has gone down. But I do still have those pinch me moments because I try to think about what I was doing before I got into this. Mm -hmm. And I always have to remind myself when I think I get a big head or I'm thinking, George, you know, you're the greatest of all time in this. And then I have to realize, hey, man, I still have a lot to learn about this game and life in general. And I remember when I was a teenager and I graduated high school before I went into the military, you know, I used to work at Burger King. I worked at pizza. I know what it's like to sweep floor, mop floor, clean out toilets with all kinds of stuff in Things, them. Yeah. Yes. You know, so I remember those days and I try not to forget that so that if I do start to get a little cocky or arrogant or say, oh, man, God, it's not as fun as it used to be because it's too many competitions and there's no personality. I still have to, like, that's a pinch me moment and say, look, man, George, look where you used to be when you were 18, 19 years old. Right. My 20th birthday, I was in, I'll never forget this, 20th birthday, I was in basic training. And on the day of my 20th birthday, I was scrubbing pots and pans in the kitchen of Lackland Air Force Base for basic training. That is the most humbling experience because it's 20, you know, you're supposed to be, and I'm from Miami. So 20 years old, wilding out, it's not legal drinking age, but still, well, in Miami, people start drinking at 14. It's insane. But, <laughs> but you know, at 20 years old, you know, you want to go out and party. Yeah, at 20, it's a milestone. And I was scrubbing pots and pans on my 20th birthday in basic training. So those moments in your life, you, for me, I have to keep remembering them so I stay humble. Because I agree with you. There's no The personalities aren't the same anymore. I mentioned the fixture congestion is ridiculous. And it's it's can, it can get easy to get burned out. But... Staying humble, remembering remembering those moments when you were younger and how you struggled and you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Those keep you hungry, keep you going forward. Yeah, I, I love that, man. I, I I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, as you're right. You're right. It's it's there are things that it could always be worse. And the yeah. thing is, is that like your your career has mirrored that of like a pro soccer player. When you think about it, you're starting mm -hmm. all the way from the, the bottom work playing in like third tier fourth yeah. tier going up yeah. and now you're in the majors because i remember the first time i saw you it was with matteo bonetti on bn and you were hosting i think it was monday night soccer but okay. i thought you guys were fantastic and i was hooked for starters it was just like you guys had two completely distinctive voices both mm -hmm. love city this is when bn had city and you both were encyclopedias on that league which at that time, 2011, as you said, 2012, maybe that was so rare. So yeah, I yeah. was just like, oh, my God, you know, and of course, like Matteo having like an I've never seen an Italian pundit 
Uh, mm. Or like an Italian-American pundit, I should say. Right. Because uh, Giorgio Canale used to do punditry, you know, after he retired from the Cosmos. But like I had never seen an Italian-American pundit before. So I was like, whoa. And then partnered with a black man, which is also, yeah. I want to talk about that too later on. Because it's also like, it was like two different things that I was not accustomed to talking about soccer and I loved it. And you guys had the knowledge, you had the joy, you had the charisma. And I was just like, I don't know, whatever these guys do, I'm going to watch whatever yeah, it is. Appreciate but, that. Yeah. You no, know, you're welcome. And I've followed you both ever since. And, but when you first got on camera, were you sort of like, what, what is this? Like, Ooh. you know, what, you know, what, cause you, as you said, you were doing radio podcasting stuff. Camera's a whole different beast. Mm -hmm. Cause mm -hmm. you also got to have a look too. Like you could have, you could have Ray Hudson's voice, but like, <laughs> but if you look like, you know, Joe Schmo from the bar down the block, they yeah. put you on camera. <laughs> That's true. So it's like, so, but you guys had this presence and you both look classy. And I was like, yes, these are representatives of the league that I love. Finalmente, yeah. you know? Yeah. So like, what was that like for you? Like being uh, told like, yo, go on camera. Oh, it was, it was great. First of all, let me just say this. My last name, Metellus, is Roman. Get out. So, yeah. My last name is Metellus is a Roman last name. I actually had to Google. Well, yeah, this is before Google, but I, I looked it up one time. And one of the, if you, uh, the, the play Julius Caesar, one of the conspirators to kill Julius Caesar was Metellus Simber. Oh. And I looked it up and Metellus is a Roman name of a family of generals of Rome. So there's that connection there Whoa. with Italy. So, and also the military as well. The military, yeah, yeah. So and Paisano Nostro. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, you know, and 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 uh, I actually, I spent, when I was in college, I spent a summer in L'Aquila oh, wow. uh, doing, and I studied a year of Italian. So it always seemed like Italy was like, there was a connection there. Even though my family's Haitian, the Roman last name, and because I speak, I, you know, growing up in Miami, the Latin languages, so Italy, Italian was real easy for me. I got like straight A's in Italian in college because it was right. easy. So that city of our connection was, that was like my second favorite league. My favorite league is a Brazilian league. And then the second league favorite is uh, is city of I. So there was that connection there. Mateo makes it easy too because he has a lot of knowledge there. So uh, I was able to, you know, parla un po' d'italiano con, con lui. Anyway. Bravo, bravo. <laughs> grazie, grazie, mille grazie. Uh, but being on camera, you know what? It wasn't that hard for me. Here's mm. why. I have the kind of personality, especially as I got older and I got out of the military, where I'm like, I just don't, I'm going to do what I want. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to. So I'm not afraid of acting ridiculous and making a fool out of myself in public. And when you are eight, to, when I got into the military, I was 19. I got out and when I was 24. And we, there was certain, I was in California to do some training and we had time on the weekends and me and my friends, we did some, I mean, we did some stuff where we embarrassed ourselves in public. So we, after a while you get used to it. So I'm like, Oh, I'm on camera. You know, I think I, I have enough sense to know what not to say, what to do. And I just basically was, I didn't really get that nervous. Okay. Cause I've been used to, I was used to embarrassing myself in public so much that I was like, camera. So what? Okay. I've been, shoot, I mean, I, I've had situations where my, I've been in, and my underwear in public. Yeah, so what? You know, big deal. When I did rugby, I played rugby in college just for fun, like club. And when you score your first try, you have to do a Zulu. Yep. You basically have to run naked in the social. So I did that. And I was like, this ain't so bad. It's kind of cold, but it's not so bad. So that's kind of the mentality I had when I went on camera. I was like, okay, they're telling me what to do. 
I just look in the camera. I got Mateo there with me. I got the other, I got producers and directors in my ear. We've discussed, we prepared and, mm-hmm. you know, pre-production. So really the camera didn't really intimidate me that much. Still doesn't intimidate me to this day because I'm just not afraid of acting or looking stupid in public. And when you've done it as much as I have, <laughs> it's not that bad. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's it, all good. It's great, man. Because that's, I love that humility. I love it. You know, I had Andreas Cordero on the podcast last season, and he mentioned mm-hmm. that being is sort of like the Ajax, where it churns out amazing talent after amazing talent. What was it like for you? And what is it still like for you to work with all these fantastic people over your course of so your tenure there? And what is it like for them to be working alongside you and your fantastic talents? Like there, because there mm-hmm. always seems to be this familial camaraderie yeah. like ev- like there is a brotherhood and sisterhood there that you don't see at any other network maybe the only thing i can compare it to is especially like back in the day when the locker room was on it oh, reminds yeah. me of the only thing i can ever compare it to is thursday night's tnt nba on tnt with oh, Charles and Shaq. Yes. like because because everybody tries to replicate that right mm-hmm. yep everybody has failed the locker room was the only place that got it right because there yeah. was all like you had your disagreements you had your fun but you had your seriousness and you also can tell like every single one of you care about each other yeah. like that was the thing like you cared about like if k was having like a bad day because her team lost you guys like picked her up and like vice versa yeah. it was it was beautiful yeah and, and it's funny because a lot of the people i work with that bn I met them and we came up through Gold TV. I think oh, that's wow. a step that a lot of people forget. They forget Gold TV. A right. lot of us, a good chunk of the people at Gold TV transitioned to be in. And then you add on a K. Murray, Kevin Egan, and those those type, Mateo, those types who are really enjoy, really cool people that have a lot of knowledge that can that I learned from them. And we we all learn from each other. And we got along pretty well. I mean, look, sometimes you have your little arguments. Of one, of the, one of the greatest football debates in the history of being in took place in the green room off camera between me and K Murray. Whoa. Yeah. It was one of the greatest football debates of all time. And so, and and it was friendly, you know, it wasn't anything nasty or anything. Got the the voices did get elevated a little bit, but it wasn't anything nasty. May I ask what it was or is that? Yes. We were just, we're debating about uh, Gonzalo Higuain. Okay. And if he was, uh, I used to say he was a choke artist and K disagreed. And so that's, yeah. So it was, it was a good, it was one of our producers says it was the best debate that never went on the air. So (laughs) it was a good one. As a producer myself, I'm just like, Oh, Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that, but we had our debate. We, we expressed our differences. And then afterwards we went on the show and had a good time. And, and, you know, Kay is a fantastic human being and a, and a great broadcaster, great host as well. So it, it, there was a, a good strong bond there when BN was at its peak. And we learn from everybody, but I'm going to, I'm going to be a little arrogant when I say this, I'm going to, I'm going to be arrogant when I say this, because sometimes I need to give myself a shot of confidence. I was, I am, or I was, well, I am the most talented of all of them. Not that, uh, not that they were bad. Obviously they're all fantastic. They're super, but combine the language skills, the ability to do other sports. I was, to me, I was the number one broadcaster talent that they had. Okay, and all of them are great. Don't get me wrong. Dre and K, all of them are fantastic. They're brilliant. And I learned a lot from them. But I was the man. I'm just going to say it. It's probably the only arrogant thing I'll ever say. But I was the best one that BN has ever had, will have, or let me see, get it, the tense is right. 
ever had, has now, will ever have. So, okay. All yeah. right. There were like so now obviously like things have changed over there over the course of time. Yeah. Left things, you know, it happens. Life, you know, career paths, different things. What is it like now, you know, with because you now are kind of like the face of the yeah, network yeah. at this point. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of sad. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's disappointing. I don't want to get into details of how, sure, yeah. you know, the decline and everything. But, you know, I miss the old days. You know, I miss being around all the, you know, when, when I miss being around Kay and Kevin and Dre and Ian Joy and Ross and Ray Hudson and, uh, all those guys that would go on the locker room and Mateo, all of those guys. It was fun being around those guys. Even when we disagreed, right. it was still fun. It was great to go into the office and listen to them talk about football and offer different perspectives that I didn't know about or think about. And that elevated my mindset. So it was fun. It's um, it's a little bit sad now mm. what's happened. We've lost a lot the properties. Man, I really miss City Eye. That one, that one was the big blow. I know La Liga was the big blow in terms of the business. Right. But in terms of the the passion and kind of the soul of our football broadcasting, the city, ah, that was the big blow right there. We missed, we we had the, Dre and, and Mateo used to do the multicalcio. Yeah. Oh, man, oh, that, man. Was that was so good, man. It was like flashback so to my childhood because that was like the rye, you know, yes. you would get rye on public access TV here in the 90s and it was like, you know, you get the trumpet <laughs> with these shitty graphics. Mind you, that Rye is still using. My, yes. all right? Nothing has changed since Italian 90. Like, nothing has changed. <laughs> so it's like you have that with these, like, terrible, terrible, like, MS-DOS, early Tandy 1000 graphics. Ooh. And just, and it was like, yes, like, this is, this is it. You're Americanized. You're not Americanizing. You're just trans. You're bringing the thing yeah. that we all grew up with. And bringing it to an American audience. For me, I looked at being, and as you said, in those peak years and those glory years was like, you're right. La Liga was the business. That was that was the drug, right? Mm-hmm. That was like, what's hooking you in? Not that I'm making drug references. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> okay. I know, I know George is in Miami, but you know, and Cocaine Bears like a movie now, but like, you know, let's, we're going to over the Cocaine Cowboys down Cocaine here. Cocaine Cowboys, <laughs> you know, we're going to keep it clean, but don't do drugs, but. You know, right, but right. I'm gonna make the reference, okay? Uh, <laughs> but like, La Liga was the drug, but like the thing that kept you going and spending the money was was the city. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just like if the gateway drug was La Liga, and that was like the dealer giving you like a, a little bit of pot or something. Like your cocaine cowboys was 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 city. Yeah, then, yeah. Then you had like. Of course, you had PSG as the superpower, and you still do. You still have PSG yeah. and the Ligue but, like, PSG at that time was, like, not a new team, but it was what they were doing was mm. so new because you had Zlatan and Cavani and that PSG side of just the City All-Stars, essentially. Yeah. One yeah. team, you're going, what on earth is this? And you just, I have to watch. And that's yeah. it. And now, now PSG is a thing, obviously. I don't need to explain them. But yeah, it is... It is a crazy, crazy thing that like seeing what they had, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously people have continued and gone on and City is a different place. Do you miss commentating on that? Yes. Yes. Like, I, I, I you know, like I said, Brazilian League is my favorite league. And then City I was second. And mm-hmm. what I liked about City I, well, I still like it. I, it's hard for me to follow it now because 
uh, with work and then, you know, it's on Paramount and you got to pay extra and we all know all that situation. But <laughs> what I li- what I liked about it is you go on the websites and then they give you, you know, the, what is it? The probably formazioni so you could see yeah, probably, all that man. stuff. And it was so like, it was tactical, but the way they, they worked it out, it was easy to follow yeah. on the different websites on, you know, Gazzetta and, and Tutto Sport and all of that. And then the names and then the players and then the colors and the tradition and then Italian food is like one of my favorite foods. I mean, it just was, like I said, the connection with my last oh. name and having been there to Italy, it, it just seemed like, I, I don't know, there was something about it that I liked. I, I liked when we had City A, uh, the rivalries, obviously, as mm-hmm. an Inter fan, Derby della Madonnina and then Derby d'Italia. I mean, even the Derby della Mole was something I was interested in watching, even, you know, yeah. even though Torino is always kind of a mid-table team. So uh, I, I really, I did miss the city. I did miss in covering it and I, practicing the Italian names and reading in Italian from when I took a couple courses in, in college. So yeah, that one, that one, that one kind of hurt. Like I, mm-hmm. like you said, La Liga was the business, but city, I, that one was the, 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 that was almost, I don't want to say guilty pleasure, but it certainly was the one that I think that brought out a little more joy out of people than, than the other leagues we had. Because we, like, the Italian-American community or anybody that just, you don't even need to be Italian. Just anybody that loves City A in America, we never had it before. And we had And that was, and, like, we finally felt that, like, and I'm not speaking on behalf of all of us, but I'm speaking on behalf of all of us that loves City That it was just, like, oh, man, like, it can be done. And, And obviously we see what Paramount's doing now, but it's, like, and they're doing it and they're continuing that. But it's just, like, that was the step and you never forget your first right mm-hmm. and that was the yep. first and it was the first time we had that as city offense we had that we had wall-to-wall coverage we had people that loved it and it's continued and it's grown yeah. and it's beautiful and and we're you know and for all the faults of that league and the bureaucracy in italy that like can't figure out the business end of things that the fans are still here and it's yeah. like and you you know now it's and you had it during the tenure of Juventus's dominance and it was still entertaining yeah so you know and so it's it's like I don't need to tell you man like it, it was just like it was a beautiful thing and I thank you and I th- and anytime I get to talk to anyone that did City Out coverage at BN I just want to thank them personally so thank you ah, um, it, it was my pleasure it really was it really was my pleasure yeah you know, and great. one of your areas of expertise is South American soccer. And I, I remember listening to you on when you were covering Argent, uh, doing punditry for Argentina League on Paramount Plus. Uh, and you talked about earlier how the Brazilian City A, no, City A yeah. is your favorite league. So, how did that, how did football coming from that continent and that aspect make you fall in love with the game? Well, uh, going back to Gold TV, because mm-hmm. when I started Gold TV, we had, we had the Argentine League. We had the Brasileiro and we had the Paulista State Tournament. So I remember having to host games and call games for both of those starting at Gold TV. And then I guess growing up in Miami, being more it's 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 really Latin America North. You know, (laughs) know, my father, my father didn't say many wise things. But one wise thing he did say is that living in Miami is like being in America without being in America. And I understood that. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Especially after living in Augusta, Georgia while I was in the military. You're like, wait, this is two different <laughs> countries, really, even though it's the same borders. So uh, that that was the thing. So growing up with a lot of Colombian friends, Argentine friends, uh, I have a couple friends that are from Ecuador. 
I was always a little more inclined to the Latin American culture, for lack of a better term, than, yeah, sure. than the European culture, because that's how I grew up here. And then obviously Haitian roots, Caribbean, so in Miami, Caribbean. So it was real easy for me to, to I guess, make that adjustment mm-hmm. to go to be more of a South American to like the South American game with the Libertadores, Brasileira, Argentina. We did Colombian League for a while at Gold yeah. TV as well. So that was fun. And all my Colombian friends were like, oh, you have to be a Nacional fan. And I'm like, I'm not doing what you want to do. That's, <laughs> you know, that's why I became a, a Junior de Barranquilla fan. Because, okay. Yeah. And, and mainly, too, because the two, Sofia Vergara and Shakira are junior <laughs> fans. So, so my friends at Nacional who like Nacional is like, yeah, we got two Libertadores. I'm like, yeah, but we got two Diosas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what do you, you, you don't get to what you say, well, you are, you got a Libertadores. We got Sofia Vergara and Shakira as, you know, you need to come on my side. We got good taste, you know? So, but I think it's just how I was raised, you know, growing up in Miami and Latin America sure. and then going that path. And then I've been blessed because I can defend myself well in Spanish Right. And and stuff like that. And then my family, Haitian, we love Brazil. So there was that natural yeah. inclination to follow the Brazilian national team. Then you follow the leagues and it just grows from there. So who is the team in Brazil for you? Santos Futebol Clube. Ah, Santos. Okay. Because of Pelé and Neymar. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So those two, because of those two, I became a, a Santos supporter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so for Brazil, I I support Sao Paulo because of Kaká. Okay. I, I I do love Danny Alves, despite the fact that I'm a Milan fan. But despite the fact that Danny Alves never played for Milan, he's a player that I've always admired. Yeah. So he had played there, Hernan Crespo, of course. So it's just like Sao Paulo's got yeah a pato like the the city again, city Milan greatest hits. So like that was my team. For yeah, Colombia, Rosso yeah, so Rosso, and again, same color black. pattern. So it's, yeah. that's you know, stay in the family. Uh, and for Colombia, my wife and I years ago had traveled to uh Cartagena and fell in love with that city. And Real awesome. Cartagena, which is second division, though, I know the crap team, but like <laughs> I, I had to support. I'm like, I can't go home without like a bootleg jersey of the local club here. Yeah, that was it. So it's like, I you know, I keep my eye on them, but it's and South American soccer, and you're the expert here. So I want you to just kind of like help me out. And it, okay, I've thought for it because it, it still is entertaining. It doesn't get the shine that it should, and the, it's a completely different version of the game that we love. I feel like when I want and it, and every country obviously has a different version, like in mm-hmm. Europe, but like each country is very different in their style. But each team and each country has this knives out way of playing that it is just like i don't give a shit if it's real cartagena playing like some scrub another like scrub team from (laughs) colombia or like some scrub team from uruguay yeah it's just like they're playing that as if it is copa liberatoris final like that Mm -hmm. is that's it so is that a correct assessment and like how when you watch that and then watch the european leagues that people are more inclined to watch do you do you see the similarities and, do you, and what are the differences? I think the big difference is the there's it's the passion and it's a lot more physical. Yeah. So there's a, there's more, it's more physical. Uh, there's a lot more trash talking. That's for sure. There's a lot more. The referees are, they are as aggressive as the players. Like the, the referees will, they, they, they look like they'll fight, you know, <laughs> 
Like the referee, you know, European referees, they 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 hold their ground, but European uh, but South American referees, I I swear that they need to but at, to qualify to be a South American referee, they have to take self-defense classes. I swear. I don't know if it's true, but I I I swear in the back of my mind, I think that that is is part of the criteria. Uh but I think it's it's more physical. There's there seems to be it's more passion. It's it can be a little more direct as well. It's a lot of times you see maybe one or two passes and then they're trying to go forward as quickly as yeah. possible while Europe, it's a little bit more possession, a little more technical, tactical while South America, it's more direct, more physical, and it's more, they still have the, the skill levels is roughly the same, a little bit <laughs> lower than Europe, but roughly the same, but it's more tactical, but it's more physical. It's more direct. There's more trash talking. There's more gamesmanship in South America. You know, they'll hold the ball longer. They'll come, they're will they in the referees' faces is a lot more often. I mean, I saw that yesterday with the, the Recopa final, Sudamericana second leg between Flamengo and Independiente del Valle. I mean, every call, they were in the referees' face. So, you know, I mean, every call. And and even the ball goes out of bounds, and there's, there's guys with their hands up screaming. I'm like, just get to the damn game already. You know, I can't say it on the air, but... <laughs> You know, it, it's frustrating, but that's part of the game, you know, in South America. So I think that's the big difference. And the similarities are, I get it, it, it compared to Europe. That's a great question because I, I always, I can recognize the differences, but the similarities. Because hmm. I've always looked at it as like certain players and certain leagues just fit perfectly. It's like why Milan has always had a Brazilian contingent. Inter yeah. has always had an Argentine contingent. Yep. Uh, we've seen, obviously... The Argentine of Argentines, not named Maradona, or actually, and Maradona go in City and play well, and also in Spain, but also Messi doing yep. phenomenal in, you know, beat. I don't need to give Messi any more accolades than he already has and deserves, but it's like we've seen him do his thing in Spain, and we see players from South America going to Spain and Portugal. The Mediterranean countries is really where they're shining. Mm. It takes a little while to adapt in England, but when they do, yeah. It is just, well, that's it. Y'all are fucked. Like, that's pretty much like, <laughs> yeah. you get a Carlos Tevez that, like, adapts to England. It's just like, well, have it's fun over. trying to yeah. defend Cunaguero that. at City, yeah. yeah. Like yes, that. Yeah. yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it might take a little while, but when it does, yeah, okay, um, all bets are off there. So, like, but being that the fact that they can go and transition to certain countries in Europe seamlessly – there has to be a similarity there like that. And that I can't pinpoint it either. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, well, now that I'm, I'm trying to, now that I'm thinking about it, cause that's a great question that, that I think I've made this, this analogy of driving, uh, learning how to drive on a standard on a stick shift. Okay. South American players play football, learning to drive stick shift. European players learn how to drive on an automatic. Uh... Usually. And uh, a European player, let's say they have they go to South America or they're going up against South American players and they have to drive or they're forced into a position where they have to go on stick shift. People who learn who drive on an automatic really struggle to drive a stick shift. I'm one of them. Okay. And you I know get this funny? analogy perfectly. I have, you, yeah. you understand? And you know what's funny? I drive a stick shift. Like I've learned, my parents taught me to drive on a stick shift. It's a skill so, I'm, I want to, I got to have to do. Oh, it's, oh, you could do it. You could do it. You could do it. Yeah. If I could do it, trust me, you could do it. So, <laughs> but when the South American players learn to drive stick shift, so the adjustment is easier than yeah. the other way around. 
And I think that that's that has something to do with it. And then also, and, and look, European players, they work hard. I'm not trying to say they're not of course, hardworking. Yeah. But the thirst, because of this, the economic situations of mm-hmm. some of these South American players, they're a little, maybe they're a little hungrier. Because we all know South America, in an economic standpoint, is not, is not as rich as Europe. Because if that was the case, I've said this before, if the Brasileirao had the financial power of, let's say half the financial power of the EPL, the Brasileirao would be the best league in the world by far. Because wow. you get all the South American talent would stay in Brazil. Yep. And then you get the African players because they don't have to worry about discrimination and monkey chants in Europe. Right. They go to Brazil, which Brazil has the highest concentration of black people outside of any nation in Africa. And then the European players would come too. And they're like, who, who doesn't want to be a star at Botafogo for Rio de Janeiro in Rio? You know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. I always, I always say that, but I think that the similarities between European players and, and South American players to get, to, you know, get my thought back on track. I think the similarity is really just the passion for the game. They go about it differently, but the similarity is there's the passion for the game. There's a uh, the, the universal language of football. I always wonder how you you have a game, a Champions League game, and Milan has players from eight different countries on the pitch, right? That whose native language is not the same, and then they go up against a team in England who everybody speaks English. The referee and they they still find a way to communicate with each other. I, I don't. It's amazing. It's I've asked people and say it's one language, the game of football. Yeah. But I, I think that's the similarity. The, the, the passion and the drive to succeed is the same. Uh, technically, European players are a little bit better. Uh, and But as I mentioned before, the style of playing South America is more direct, more aggressive, more physical. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I hope that answered the question there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> I think you did. I think okay, you did. cool. No, I keep calling you a trailblazer in this interview, and that's because you are. And I don't need to be the one to tell you, but there is a lack of black pundits and commentators on the beautiful game. And Mm. this game, which is supposed to be so diverse, uh, is not as diverse as it should be in America. And when it comes to watching it on television, I believe you are just one of under a dozen black men who does this for a living. Wow. I, I did a count the other day and I kept naming it and I kept coming up with under 12 people. Ooh. So now given the amount of investment in this sport, billion dollar Apple deal for MLS, you got obviously BN still doing their thing with Turkey, the Turkish Superliga and obviously uh, Ligun. Um, ESPN has La Liga and every other league. Uh, Paramount has got obviously uh city as we discussed and champions league and uh, a couple south american leagues but there's still a lack of folks Mm. that look like you and so there's two questions now one why is this number so low and how is this number so low (laughs) okay i think let's start with the why Mm -hmm. i think why is i i always try to look at at situations where what as a black black people, can we do? Because we know what's what's going on in the world, racism, prejudice, all that stuff. Okay, I think black people in America, American black people specifically here, because since we're in America, mm. they really aren't looking. We need to start looking at soccer as another option as a career. Because black Americans, we just look at basically American football, basketball, uh, maybe track and field. You know, those are like the three preferred sports in the black American community. So we need to start looking outside of those three. That's why 
Tiger Woods was so popular, Serena, because they were able to break down barriers in other sports. So hopefully that that's one reason why. I think another reason why also is that, and I know U.S., the national team is getting more black players, Altidore mm-hmm. and Maurice Du back in the day, even going back to like Eddie Pope and Eddie Johnson when I was younger. Yeah. I remember those guys. Yeah. But U.S. soccer still hasn't promoted the game in predominantly black and predominantly Hispanic communities, especially lower income black and Hispanic communities. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Miami. We are the cradle of American football talent. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, yes. it is. Uh, they come to uh, college. For some reason, from, everyone keeps tapping into New Jersey. No and, disrespect to Jersey. But, <laughs> but. Yeah, but but Miami, South Florida, you want the best American football players in, in the country. You come to South Florida. Yeah. There is an NFL youth camp in uh, Gwen Cherry Park, if I remember correctly, in the middle of Liberty City, which is one of the poorest and black neighborhoods in Miami. There's no U.S. soccer facility at all. And I would venture to say that U.S. soccer does not have any training facility or any kind of camp or installation or setup in any major city and predominantly black country, black neighborhoods all over the country. So you can't expect more black people to do this as a sport or as a commentator if they're not exposed to it. Right. So it has to kind of go both ways. It has the black community has to think outside the box when it comes to sports and their children playing sports or doing something different. And the U.S. soccer, U.S. Soccer Federation has to reach out and inject themselves into this community. That's why the pay for play thing is so damaging. You I, you just took because, my follow up question on because yeah. I was just does it also come down to economic because I, I don't have kids and but my friends do. Yeah. And my sister does. And you know, so and like we've looked and as the kids are growing up or wants to play sports, and you know, my my niece is gonna be two and but like my sister's like, oh, she's probably gonna play soccer, you know. Cool. And like we start looking into it. And it's, I never realized until the last like two years, and my buddy of mine used to be a youth coach and he used to tell me how expensive it was, but I never registered. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how expensive it was for a parent. Soccer is supposed to be the poor man's sport. Yes. It's a woman's sport. It's supposed to, it's like pizza. Pizza's for the people. It's peasant food. Soccer is the peasant sport. Yes. Everybody does it because you just need, as Pele proved, you need some socks. That's That's it. it. Roll up some (laughs) socks and kick it around. And that's That's it. it. Suddenly you can go win a World Cup. It Mm -hmm. seems easy, but that's, that's the propaganda. It's the poor man's, that's why in the favelas, in the barrios, in, in the townships of South Africa, like it's played everywhere. So yeah. it's like, so why is it that in America, it's so expensive? It's because there has, there's, I'm, I don't want to be someone who thinks there's a conspiracy, but I do think there is a, there's a capitalistic nature to this that is hurting the, the development of the game. Sure. People are trying to make money off of it. And uh, you're not going to make money off of poor kids who can't afford it. You can make money off of the middle-class kids who can afford it. And also, but the middle-class kids don't have the hunger and the motivation to do it right. as a poor black kid or a poor Hispanic kid growing up in the barrio or in the hood. And, and you mentioned the favelas and the barrios. Those kids are hungry because they want to get out of that situation. Because they're but legitimately middle- hungry. Like- yes. <laughs> yes. They're legit, like in, in terms of the food in their belly and trying to get out and make a better life for their, their kids. Mm-hmm. And I always look the example of basketball. Yes. Basketball. The United States, every Olympics is the gold medal favorite. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And, because they they promote the game in poor black neighborhoods. 
these a lot of young black kids they want to play basketball it's like biggie said in, in a song you know you're the slang rock or you got a cool jump shot you know what i'm saying it's kind of that's the situation so that's what soccer needs to do the united states with 300 million people at least that's what i remember from the last census right. there's no way we should be struggling to get out of the group of a world cup when you have all that talent lying around and look not every kid is six eight six nine or can run a four three you know there's this and if you tell a black kid in in i don't know in a neighborhood like i like i'm from miami so liberty city and you tell his parents you know what your kid he's about five seven runs fast he's good with the ball at his feet we'll send him to ix and pay him two hundred thousand dollars a year in the netherlands you think they won't take that of right. course they will take that but the kid doesn't know this because he's not exposed to it so, like I said, we as black folk have to open our minds up outside of basketball, American football, track. And also, U.S. soccer in this country has to put themselves in these communities, expose the kids to the game. And I'm telling you, if that happened, the U.S. could win a World Cup within 20 years. I don't disagree on this because I only see one team in America doing this and doing it properly, and that is Atlanta United. Because mm, yes. if you watch the show Atlanta, shout out to Donald Glover. One day I'm gonna keep pushing to get you on this podcast, Mr. Glover. Uh, but if you watch that first season of Atlanta, almost everywhere Donald and the other characters of the show go, there's an Atlanta United sticker hanging in the barbershop, in mm -hmm. in the bodegas, and in yep. just like someone's wearing a hat. That is subtle promotion that it just in general, like suddenly for me as like a white person in New York watching this is like, oh, Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta's a dope show, but it's a, and, it, and of course, like they're a winning team. They were a winning right. team, but it's like, oh, at this point, like that's awesome. Now yeah, it's yeah. like, it's becoming something different. And I, and the fact that like Donald Glover has made the blackest show of all time. Yeah, <laughs> he sure has. And yeah. like, you're still, and there's still like a sticker of that. That's kind of like, to me, it's like whatever Atlanta the team Atlanta United has done to get that sticker on that show, whether by hook or by crook or by accident, I don't know. That to me is how you do it. Like just yeah. subtle way, like, yo, this is cool. This is how it's done. And when I watch Atlanta United games, Atlanta United, the crowd looks like America. Yeah. The yeah. crowd, it's it's diverse. There's there's beautiful shades of everything. Everything, yep. Versus like, and again, no disrespect to Charlotte, but like Charlotte had a huge attendance their first game. Everybody was getting sunburned leaving the Charlotte State. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like, and it's like no disrespect to that. Like that's awesome that you filled that stadium. But Atlanta looks like a portrait of the country that I live yeah. in. Yeah. And, and, and you, yeah. And, and you, and Atlanta should, you got to people, people right, right, they yes, should, right. I mean, they should be having, look, Atlanta that's the birthplace of Dr. Martin Luther King. Two of the most prominent uh, HBCUs are there in Spelman and Morehouse. Mm -hmm. uh, but the last, seems like the last 18 mayors have been black, right? In Atlanta. Uh, what else? Um, I mean, it's considered like the black Mecca. Right. Right. So right. the, I mean, I've, I've seen Atlanta United games where they've had CeeLo Green there and a bunch of Atlanta rappers. I you mean, know. Kanye West, before he went completely off the deep yes. end, was like renting a room in yes. the stadium and was showing up at the game. games. Like, you know. Yes, but exactly. Like, but but that, to your point, that's that's the diversity in Atlanta. Maybe Atlanta is the start of it. Look, Atlanta is considered the black Mecca. So maybe that's maybe it starts there and kind of just kind of filters out from the rest of, to the rest of the country. 
And, and but that's what that needs to be done. You got to promote the game in these neighborhoods. And look, from a from a business perspective, the more people you get interested, the more money you make. You know, yes. look, you know, I, I, we talk about poor black neighborhoods. A lot of black people are middle class. So, right. you know, you get them, you get even if they don't play, but you get them involved in the game. Then those that can't play like myself can say, <laughs> hey, you know, but I like commentary. I like talking about it. And then you start to get the broadcast. So another side effect of it. OK, you might get some players. OK, which is probably the number one thing. Mm-hmm. But then you get some brothers that like that like to talk about it and they can get on the air and talk about it. And then that's when it builds to that point where you don't have to be a former player in order to get on TV to talk about it or thing. And now also podcasts are all over the place now. So that's an, that's kind of the end. You do the back when I was starting, I had a podcast, but it was really just the old fashioned way. You go to school, you get an internship at a television station, and then it builds from there. Now it's a podcast. You get thousands of, of, of subscribers. They, these web networks notice it because those subscribers can turn into viewers and then you go from there. So there's different options, but you have to expose the people to those options. Well said, well said, you know, it's, I don't want to put anybody as a monolith either, you know, and that's the thing, you know, and I'm happy, you know, and obviously, as you said, like there is a, there is a high class and a middle class Mm -hmm. of black folks in this country. But again, it's like, I'm looking at this and this sport, like why, and again, yeah, yeah. just even just flipping the channels, like I'm watching with a million fucking apps that there are. Yeah. We mentioned yeah, earlier. <laughs> but it's just like with all of these advances and how much investment, I'm still counting under a dozen yeah. black folks on TV discussing the game. And it's just like, not that I want you to have competition, George. I don't. I want uh, you to, but like, I also don't want you to be alone in all right, that. Right. Like, you shouldn't, and no one should. Like, Kobe Jones shouldn't at Fox, and right. Aaron West shouldn't at Paramount. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I may not have liked Micah Richards as a player, but like, you know, he he's doing his thing, and like, thing, there's right. no representation there. Well, I, I don't mind the competition because, um, you know, <laughs> you know, because I'm going to make money either way. I'll be OK. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, it's getting yours. It's good. Yeah. It's good. But um, <laughs> well, first of all, you got to I think another thing that comes into play, especially me specifically, is that uh, I'm, I'm I'm multicultural. Mm. You know, I'm born in the States, but my parents are Haitian. I grew up around Hispanic people. I've studied multiple languages. I studied Arabic when I was in the military. So. I, I, I can, you know, I've done live translation of Portuguese on the air, of, of Spanish on the air. I mean, one time Bodo, I read a, a headline on air in German and Bodo Ildner was like, that was pretty good because I did Bundesliga when I was like, wow. Portuguese. so there, there you, you can't just, it's not enough to just be good on the air right. or just be able to say something. You have to bring extra for black folk, especially this is something I know. This is going to be crazy what people might not agree with what I'm about to say, but for black people to get to the same spot, we have to do two times more. That's kind of the, the mm-hmm. mantra in my community or amongst us. So that that's another aspect of it. I think black folk, we need to we need to do a little bit more to get to the same spots. We can't be afraid to do that work. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was if I didn't if I was resistant to learning other languages and open to other cultures, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'd be, I'd be working at the post office. Nothing wrong with that, right? But it's not nearly as fun as doing this, you know, talking, sitting here with you. So, or calling well, games. You. So, 
Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. But, um, you know, I think yeah. there's so many different aspects to it as well. But, um, you know, the more the merrier, you know, as long as you do a good job, that's the main thing, right. regardless of skin color, regardless, because I know some like a colleague of mine, Kaylin Kyle, she does a great job. I've heard her do color commentary on games and I'm like, she could do this too. Right. She's right. I've seen her break. Like I've heard her do color commentary on games and I'm like, man, from her, Oh, some of the, the terms she uses as a former player. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So she could do that as well. So, you know, that's something you got to just be good at what you do and put in the work and then try to find a niche or a little Avenue that makes you a little bit different. So that's another aspect of it as well, putting in the, the effort and being good at it. So, I mean, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but hopefully I think the main thing is just us as black folk getting more exposure to the game and then uh, finding ways to get in through podcasts and stuff like that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, um, you know, you keep talking about your Haitian roots and that's the section I'm going to uh, focus on now. And it's, it's cause I completely ignorant, had no idea it, it was a nation of soccer heads. <laughs> I thought it was a baseball island. Because, ah. like, here's the thing. Haiti is a place I want to visit one day. Maybe one day we can go and hang out. Uh, you know, and there's, like, because I'm, I'm like, really, I'm really fascinated by it. Because there is a strange stigma around Haiti yeah. where it's always bad news that comes from that country. But I truly, truly cannot believe in my heart of hearts, as a human being, as a journalist, as a producer, as all the hats that I wear in life, right? That that is not the case. Um, You know, take us around Haiti. And what is it like? And what is it has to offer that news cameras are not showing Mm. on these wonderful people? Like, I remember a few years ago, Conan O'Brien did a special in Haiti right after the earthquake uh, in his Conan Without Borders segment. And it was completely different than anything yeah, I had ever seen about what hate because you hear about cartels, you hear about kidnappings, you hear about missionaries going with you every negative thing that some and everything that people could be afraid of to travel to Port-au-Prince or wherever earthquakes. Yeah. Obviously, um, that's all you hear. But Conan had shown me at least that this is a lovely place, and yeah, I want to yeah. go and see these people. So, yeah. like, talk. Well, I think I think the the. The one thing people forget about Haiti is a, it's a Caribbean island. So you got beautiful beaches uh, in the north and in the south as well. Everybody focuses on Port-au-Prince because that's the big city. Right. And I've been there many times before, and it has its issues like any other big city, right? But the, 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 the scenery in terms of the beauty of a Caribbean island is amazing, especially up north, the Cap Haitien, Labadie. In the south as well, my, my family's from a city south of Port-au-Prince called Jacmel. Okay. And we would go there on vacation, and it's beautiful. There's a picture in my uncle's house of me and my cousins and my brother and under a coconut tree in Jacmel. And I show it to my friends, and they're like, where's that? I said, that's Haiti. And they're like, what? Really? Right, right. Yeah. Like, you just don't. It's just not the thing. The thing. Yeah. Broadcast. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, Sal, the food will blow you away. Oh, man. The food. So let's I, go on a little food tour. Right oh now. my goodness! Go to Yacht. Uh, okay, <laughs> the food. There's, there's a, there's a. My favorite dish of, of Haitian food is called Jui Jonjon. It's a, like a. Oh, how can I describe it? It's rice with some beans in it. I'm, I'm I, I just eat it. I can't even describe it. It's so, <laughs> it's just so. If you put Jui Jonjon with with pizza, I'll eat the Jui Jonjon first. The they okay. have uh, the. Uh, 
pressed plantains that they fry, throw some salt. Haitian food is so good. They boil white rice and it has taste. And you're like, how what? do they do that? I mean, it's the, the chicken, you know, American chickens, yeah. they, they're steroid. They're like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Everything is, yeah. They're, they're, buff, they're buff birds. Let's buff birds, yes. The Haitian chickens, you know, you eat just the meat is on the top part of the leg and then the, the bone there. But it's so tasty and it's so healthy because it's not water. You know, there's not no fat on it and everything like that. Um, the vegetables. I mean, the Haitian food is called pate, which is like empanadas yeah, type yeah, thing. Okay. And the people different make it with different uh, st- uh, designs. And they put chicken and meat and fish. They Now they've come to America and they've opened bakeries and they've, it's vegan. So they put vegetables <laughs> in there. They put turkey. I had turkey. I had a turkey pate, like empanada, Haitian style empanada. And I was like, what is this? It's like turkey. I was like, this is one of the top five greatest things I've ever tasted. And the other four are Haitian. You know, it's just the food. There's Haitian music is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, you want to talk about freaky music? You get your woman with some good compa. My goodness. You do that for five minutes and you have to go in the back room and, you know. (laughs) get loose <laughs> you know what i'm saying because it gets they get because you get real close and then you're grinding on each other like this i did that once with a girlfriend of mine and it was like we got to leave this party right now <laughs> you know we got to go right now and she was like yes let's go wow so, it's, it's it, offering it, things that you're not getting in miami let's yeah go. yeah it, it's the food it's the the music the culture the language is is got this 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 energy to it because it's because that's the thing. It sounds like a dope version of it, it's it's French, obviously, but it's like it's got yeah. like a, it's like a dope version of French. Like it's like the coolest version of the French language because it's it's got the influence from the rest of the islands. So right. It's just like oh, and then and it's also there's a little bit of of the remnants of some of the old languages from the slaves. Oh, the slaves, okay. Because Haiti right. was the first uh, in first uh, successful black. Right. Uh, rebellion. First, first successful slave insurrection. So some of the language of the of the slaves from the African dialects is still in, in some of the Creole as well. And so it's mixed with that and the French. Right. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot of history to it. Uh, I think a lot of people don't recognize, realize the Louisiana Purchase is a direct result of the successful Haitian rebellion in 1804. So America doubled its size because of, of Toussaint Louverture and Jacques Dessalines winning Haiti and the French are like, well, we don't need these, we don't need these crap in the United States, man. We, you know, we lost our number one revenue colony, and New Orleans was a satellite port for Haiti. So when they lost Haiti, they were like, well, we don't need this. Well, I don't, you know, you can y'all can have it, and then so they gave it to the United States, and that's where you get Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, you know, though that whole that whole kind of along the Mississippi River there, right, those states. Yeah. So. I think there's there's it's the the food, the culture. I know they've had the struggles with poverty and corrupt governments, but the the scenery, the beaches, the coastline, there's a there's a lot to to like about Haiti. It's just that in the city, in Port-au-Prince itself, because of the the corruption of the government and the earthquakes and some of the, the other stuff, they make it seem like that's the rest of the country. But they're outside of the city and the rest of the country, it's really nice and the people are really nice. That's awesome. I'm happy yeah. to hear that, like, beyond the headlines, like, again, yeah. things aren't a monolith. Things right. aren't just, like... But you got to get out the city. That's, that's the thing. It. Port-au-Prince, you're going to fly in there because that's the major airport. Oh, no, mm-hmm. now Cap Haitien in the north has the airport. But you go to Cap Haitien in the north, 
and it's like it's a resort town they have resorts and there's the beach and, the, and my cousin went with her husband her husband's jamaican and he said man they were frying fish they catch the fish in the bay and then they fry it right there oh, on the oh, it's like oh man i hate y'all right now i hate you Yo, so much i'm not right far now. from LaGuardia. i think i might just jump oh <laughs> yes <laughs> like i'm hungry Lunch oh man it's good oh haitian food is amazing yeah oh, haitian food is, oh that's the best yeah I'm so now my mouth is watering thinking about it. Yeah, uh, same, same. So ugh. all right. So now I gotta so now this all brings it full circle. We're connecting okay. the dots now with the Roman name, a proud Haitian American that loves Inter. So now, how did that fandom come about? Ooh. And I'm not I'm gonna hold it against you as a Milan. Oh, okay. I also am wearing blue and black, yeah, I see. Right? So it's like you and, know, you, and it's funny, I'm wearing a red Miami shirt with it. The Milan colors, it's crazy. <laughs> Blame it on the Miami Heat, by the way. Yes. That's not me. Uh, well, I became an Inter fan. You know how I was when I first started following City. I, I was torn between Milan and Inter. I because I like the shirt, I like the pattern, the red and black and the blue and black patterns. Like I said, the Italians have the, the coolest shirts, man. I love the color scheme and and it's Italian, so you figure fashion, you know, la moda, you know. We're not good at much, but there's a few things that, you know. Hey, Italian food is right yeah. there behind Haitian food, okay? Yeah. Hey, hey. And Italian women, whew, okay, <laughs> I got to focus. I'm sorry. Because I, I went to Italy for that summer, and I was like, oh, my God. I see Signora Metellus right there. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Anyway, it's a ragazze. Okay, but, okay, my bad. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I became an Inter fan because of Samuel Eto'o. Ah, okay. That'll do it. That'll yes. do it. Samuel Eto'o is my is my favorite footballer of all time, and wow. he, I was still on the fence between uh, Inter and Milan. So Eto'o was at Barcelona. Mm -hmm. He leaves Barcelona. They basically swapped Zlatan for Eto'o. Yep. Right. And I was mad at Pep Guardiola for doing that because Eto'o was a huge reason why they won the treble. So I was like, man, I can't believe he did that. I kind of lost. I was a Barca fan for a while. And then when Eto'o left, I was like, I don't like you no more. That doesn't mean I like Real Madrid. I just was like, right, I right, pulled right, back right. a little bit. So Eto'o goes to Inter. And then he wins the trouble with Inter and Jose Mourinho. And I was like, this is my team. And ever since then, I, you know, I read up on the history. I like the color scheme of the blue and the black. And then, you know, I was working with uh, Matteo Bonetti, who's a Milanista. And so that 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 pushed the rivalry a little bit more. That pushed me toward Inter a little bit more because I'm the kind of person where if the majority of people like a team, I'm going to like the rival just to be because I just don't want to be like everybody <laughs> Everyone's else. Everyone's zigging, you're going to zag. Exactly. Yeah. When I was coming up, everybody went like Manchester United. So I'm like, well, I'll be Arsenal fan. I like Thierry Henry. Okay, so yeah. You and that's how, and then, you you know, you can't just be a fan. You, you pick a club because of a player. Cool. Right. Now you have to learn about the history of the club. You can't just... Because players switch clubs all the time. So, Thank you. you know, Thank you for that. Yes. I, I picked Thierry Henry. I like Arsenal. I started to learn about Arsenal. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. North London. I like the colors, the badge. Same thing with Inter. Samuel Te goes to Inter. I learned about Inter. Giuseppe Meazza. And then they were, you know, the big teams that they won Nerazzurri. And then the nickname, Il Bichone. And I had a kit with a dragon on the side. And I was like, this shit is dope. Oh, yeah, this is my squad. And then just to say Internazionale. Just to, like a lot of times I work. If I'm on the air and a player came from Inter, I don't say Inter. I just like saying Internazionale. So it just made sense. And then it just grew from there. I love it. That's perfect. Yeah. Now, the million-dollar question is, okay. the brief stint that Samuel Leto had at Chelsea, that must have 
spoiled yeah. you inside. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that at all. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I did not like that at all. Um I wish he had gone to to Arsenal, but that wasn't the case because back then they didn't have enough money because they kept finishing fourth. Right. Uh but um yeah, I, I didn't I didn't like that at all. They didn't and they even they didn't use him properly. No, 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 no. You know, I mean Mourinho knew how to use him. Uh and then working with and then playing with Wesley Snyder, that team that won the treble and uh, Principe Diego Milito scoring in the final, back two goals in the final. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like that at all. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, that that's the way of the life of a footballer. You follow the team, but eventually you latch on to one team that the player played for that you like and you stick with them and you learn the history and you admire that history. And so Inter, Inter became my team. And the blue and black looks good on me. It looks better on me. Than the red and black, unless it's the Miami Heat colors, then it's <laughs> unless it's the Heat, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's all, you know. It's I hope one day you get an interview with that though, because w- one thing that I've read about him is is that so he any I'm actually kind of hoping he listens to this podcast. Yeah, that'd be nice. Any, anytime he's mentioned in the media, he has like people that like give him allegedly give him newspapers or podcasts or whatever, and he listens. And if someone talks negative about Samueletto, he then puts them on a blacklist never to speak uh, to them, ever so now that there is a glowing samuel Eto yeah here in my and look Eto Eto deserves a good time right why not go down to miami mm-hmm. so samuel Eto, if you're listening the chances i think are pretty good pretty good go, come on the cura mundial why not why not yeah and i've seen it now being we have the oh, the african competition yes, of course yes of so course. Yeah, I, see, yeah. I see him all the time with uh cameroon because he's the president oh. of the cameroon football association so i see him all the time there and every chance i get i go you know he's the only player to win a treble back to back right barcelona fans well how did the zlatan thing work out you know i take the little shot at him every once in a while but yeah that was my guy look samuel and terry Henry and edgar davids are my my three favorite players growing up i mean three legends right there you can't yeah. go wrong with any of them you know yeah. and, and you Again, being at BN, you for a period of time got to work with another inter legend, which is Bobo Vietti. So mm. the fan inside you, what was that like? Oh, you what's it like working with Bobo? Yeah. Man, Bobo is so cool, man. Because I equate him, oh, and I talked oh. about this with Andres. I'm like, he's like a real life James Bond. Yes. He is a real, he's living the best post-career soccer career mm-hmm. life ever. Now he's a dad, and, which is like Yeah, that was crazy. And I I got the, the good chance to meet his wife and you know obviously the the future mother of his child and his wife and she was a really nice lady as well but you know what a lot of people don't know this about this twice bobo vietti filled my car up with clothes to send to poor people in haiti twice that is incredible and and when i say filled up my car i had i had very little room to to steer because he had so much stuff that he's like hey you you you're giving clothes away to haiti i was like yeah he's like here Come up my house. He had a nice house in Miami Beach. And two different occasions, he filled my car up with stuff to send to poor people in Haiti for free. He didn't try, ask me for anything, no charge, nothing. Twice on two different occasions, you know. Just, and like, it wasn't crap stuff, like right, nice right, right. new stuff. So I'm I mean, gonna lie, I kept some of it. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Some of it was so cool, I kept. You know, he had like a he had a what? box. He had a box of the three pair of Dolce Gabbana underwear. I still got him. I'm telling you. But he, that's how cool of a person he is, a nice person. That two times he filled my car up with free stuff, shoes, clothes, 
sweatpants. He said, here, give them to the people, poor people in Haiti, because I know your mom and everything. I talked to him about it. That's he's, a, he's a great guy. Great guy. He's someone I like he's someone I want to interview and chat with and oh. talk to. And, he's, oh, and the man. thing is, too, is that like from what and again, from what I keep hearing is that like he only wants to talk about basketball now. He wants to talk about oh, everything yeah. else but football. Like he doesn't even want. So I'm like, I'm even like, I'm like, I want to talk to him. So because again, he's just, I just want to talk about him, just about him. Like, because oh, like he's football adjacent at that in that interview at that point. Like I don't even give a shit about the career because I yeah. want it. But it's like those the stories that you're saying and what Andres has said is like that's what I want to hear. Is like because he again like he is this awesome larger than life character, and I'll chat basketball with him. Like you know I'm yeah. sure he's a fan. I'm a Knicks fan. Uh, both are. You know, actually, the Knicks are doing pretty good this season, so equally terrible. But, 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 you know, it's just like, but again, like he's he's living the life that like I think every human being strives for, and he's doing the work for it. So he's not like it's not like given to him. It's like everybody I think on Earth, the way he's at in twenty twenty three at this moment in time, is I think where everybody wants to be. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. He's a he. uh, Yeah, the stories he would tell us. Yeah, he it was. He's fun to be around. And he, like I said, he's a genuinely nice guy. He, he didn't, you know, I met him the first time. I'm just a kid, you know, soccer guy. I didn't know anything, you know, just a broadcaster. He never looked down on me. He never looked down on anybody. You know, he cracked jokes and, you know, he got, he's, he's, he's got a little, he's a little arrogant, but not nasty arrogant. You know, it's a good arrogant. Right. And not once he would say, Hey, Giorgio, how you doing, man? You know, he come through and everything. Yeah. He's, he's cool people. He's for someone who's a, Big time star. A lot of people know he's really down to earth and a nice guy, but he's, he's got personality. You'd have a, that would be a fun interview. You'll have a great time with him. Oh, all right. Maybe yeah. a good word. We get something going here. Okay. It's like, he's also got like all these like weird investments too. Like he's got sweet years, the clothing line with Maldini that they had in like the two thousands. He's got a beer now, like Bobo beer. Really? Or like, I oh, think I he's, got, like, a, he's got like an adult beverage. I don't know if it's beer or not, but it's like, he has an adult beverage business. Wow. Where I'm going like, of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> like craft beer isn't like really a thing in Italy, but like of course you're the guy to do it. Um, and it, that's it. It's just like that's and and you see him playing with the kids. It's like this is awesome. This yeah. is just, I, you know it's again. It is. It like, is awesome. And I remember when I started working with him, he was he didn't have the kids yet. He was he had, he had been married and have kids yet. And then uh, I think his. Is the girl's name baby Stella? I think it is. I can't remember exactly. But when he had the kid, and I remember thinking, man, it's the guy's, yo, he's got money. He's living in Miami Beach. A uh, uh, Italian dude. He was messing with all kinds of models that I, I was like, man, this dude, why would he get married and get have kids? You sit there, get got so five. Oh, exactly. Exacto, exacto. I'm like, what is, what's wrong with you, man? You know, I wish I could do it, you know? Right. And, but he found his, he found the lady. And they had a baby, and he told me when he had the baby, he was like, "Man, he couldn't believe it. It just, it just changed. He had the baby, and now he's like, he's a devoted father. He loves his. He's crazy about his kid, and yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's amazing. Man. It's a beautiful thing. But he's a he's so cool. Man. He's a cool dude, man. And he really, if he likes you, and you, you know, you cool with him, that's your that's your boy right there. Yeah, that's he's, awesome. he's great people. He's that's great people. Uh, yeah. We're coming up now to my favorite part of the podcast. It's the final okay. three questions. George, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy. So this has been over an hour. So we're carving out some more time. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're uh, welcome. Gra- grazie mille. Grazie yeah, mille. Prego. Prego. Now time for a coffee break. 
Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. This is the rapid fire three question area. I'm going to, okay. you know, since you love Santos, since you love Arsenal, since you love Inter, I'm not going to limit it to one team. Just tell me the team that you want this to apply to. If you could bring back one retired player to one of your clubs, alive or dead, who would it be and why? It would be. Well, I'll bring some... all three if you want. Okay. Well, I'll bring, I'll bring, uh, I'd bring Thierry Henry back to Arsenal. Okay. Yeah. I'd bring him back to Arsenal because when he was playing and he was at the peak of his powers, they were unstoppable. They were the invincibles and, and uh, they were winning the premier league and um, they weren't a joke that my Manchester United friends keep clowning me about. So they ain't yeah. a joke this season, man. Yeah, no, I'm, they're no, I'm they're no joke. Like they are, they're a team. Like by the time this podcast airs, the season will be done and dusted. We will know who has won the premier league, but as mm-hmm. it stands, as this is being recorded, we don't know. And they're, they're look, if that, if not this year, definitely next year. Yeah. There's only the sky is the limit at this point. Yeah. Especially that uh, Sako kid. He is, he's something special. Yeah. He's something yes. special. Yeah. But that would be my answer. Thierry Gungri for coming back to Arsenal. All right. Yeah. If money is not an option. No, it's it's an infinite supply of cash. If one of those teams, just let me know which one, could sign one player today in the active player, who would it be and why? Hmm. Inter could sign Kylian Mbappe. That would be sweet. Ah, that would okay. be sweet. Okay. <laughs> I would love to see that. Inter signing Kylian Mbappe. I know oh. that would... That would be half the domestic gross domestic product of like 30 countries. But uh, I would love to see Inter get Kylian Mbappe. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Milan fan. So I, the chances are we'll probably get him when he's 40. But, <laughs> but, but given the state of the economics in the city, uh, but I actually think like he would do pretty amazing. I think so I think he would do good. He would be really good. In Barella Italy, yeah. behind him. It's like, <sighs> Like come like yeah, yeah. and he plays and he plays really well with a good number nine. So Jekko yes. and Lukaku, you know, yeah. playing off Mbappe. Ooh, yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, and actually, it does. It, it is a better fit. I yeah. hate to say it. And finally, finally, okay. What has been your favorite moment as a fan of this game? Favorite moment as a fan of this game. Oh man, that's a great question. Who favorite moment as a fan? It would have to be. Ooh, favorite moment. I guess, you know what? The first thing that popped in my mind, I hate to say this. I know you're Italy fans. I hate oh, being Italian. I hate to say this because I, I like Roberto Baggio. I like him. But as a Brazil fan, when Baggio missed that penalty to give Brazil the World Cup in 94, you know, I, and, and look, I know I watched the game. That was a, it was a bad game. It was a bad game. The, both teams. Which is unusual because Brazil and Italy usually play some exciting games yeah. in the World Cup. Yeah. That 94 final was rough. Um, but I, I guess I would have to say that. That was the first thing that popped in my head, my favorite moment, because I'm a Brazil fan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I get so, it. I, so I, that I, would be it. But, I mean, Roberto Baggio carried Italy to that final. He deserved to win it that year. It was amazing. He was, it, oh, he was so good. It conjures up every emotion. For me. Yeah. Because, again, for all the things that you're saying, I can't fault. Brazil for a long time in my life, I hated yeah. the Brazilian flag. I hated everything Brazil. 
I was young. I was naive. I was 10 when that happened. Yeah, of course. That's the way it is. It was just like, I held that grudge. But then like, then Ronaldinho shows up. Oh, a few years later, and you're just like, I can't fucking not like this. Yes, piece. yeah. So it's just like, all right. And then Kaka shows up, and then Kaka is playing for me. And it's for me, like, man, okay, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. All grudges aside. But you're right about Baggio, and you're right about Italy. But yeah. again, not to take away from Brazil, it is he carries them to that final. He's got a pulled hamstring. It's like, I think about today, and we talked about the NBA when they now it's like, there's that controversy with load management of just mm. like players like, oh, my my pinky toe hurts and i'm not gonna play today and all these yeah and it's like i look at roberto baggio playing in a world cup in the boiling american summer with a pulled hamstring in a final and yet he misses a ball and and misses a kick that everybody will remember but the only reason why they got there get there is because of him so it's like yeah again it brings it back full circle back And, and, and it's funny because in my view as a kid who was a Brazil fan, I was happy. But in my view, that penalty doesn't diminish him. Like, right. I, I, you know, it doesn't diminish. That dude was amazing. Not in that World Cup, but for his career. Yeah. And even when he got older in his late 30s, he was still better than like 90% of the people. <laughs> so I don't look, in fact, that to me, that's why I, that's the beauty, I think, of us knowing the history and not just looking at particular moments, but knowing history and realize, yo, this Baggio, man, I think he might have been the last great, him and Del Piero might have been the last real great Italian playmakers, number 10s, might have yeah, been. Oh, for sure, yeah. The you know, 10, him and Del Piero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you know, even as like an anti-Juve fan, like Del Piero was a guy, like there are certain players, Italian players, Totti, De Rossi, Del Piero, that never played for Milan that I couldn't not cheer for. Oh, I loved them so much. And it's just like, but once those guys hung it up, that was it. Yeah. Like That number has kind of drifted in that country. But... You're 100% right. And also Baggio, you could argue Andrea Piola, who's my favorite player of all time, but Baggio truly is the only Italian player that could play for a rival team and still be loved. Be loved. The entire yes, team. yes. He was... Like the power there is like, yeah. I think I think like if, if Pele were to have played for Santos and then gone to Sao Paulo or... Uh, or Corinthians or, or, or Palmeiras, yeah. Flamengo, like... He might have been like the only other like we saw Maradona do that at Newell's and of course at, at uh, Boca. At Boca, yeah. So it's like there are certain that that kind of puts them in a different echelon. Mm-hmm. We never got to see that with Pele, but like he would probably be the only other player in that holy trinity of players that could do that. Yeah, definitely. It's it's amazing. It's it's amazing what the game can do. You know, we have our allegiances, but you still you still gotta you still appreciate. The beauty of other players, even if they play for for another team, and and that to me is the significance of a great player. I can't st- look. This is gonna be crazy. I don't like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is not my favorite player. Whoa! My favorite player that of all time is big fan, man. Like that, <laughs> like, but, like I, I, I'm Magic Johnson is my favorite player of all. Okay, time. all right, all right, okay, but okay, okay, okay. I appreciate, and the Bulls used to eliminate the Heat all the time. Like piss me off, but <laughs> but I. Michael Jordan is hard to go against him because of how great he was, you know? And, and I think they're rare. That's how, you know, greatness right there when you could still cheer for them or appreciate them or got even a little bit of love for them, despite the fact that they play for a rival team. And I think Baggio's and in, fits into that category. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't want to take away from your moment because again, like Brazil, that team, 
also, again, deserving of that cup, like of that tournament. Yeah. They, you know, they outlasted, they played. Also, like you look at the context in which Brazil wins, it's months after Ayrton Senna, a national ah, yes, passes right. away. And yeah. even like Baggio talks about that. He's just like, when that ball went up and went up past the goalpost, he's like, I kicked it to heaven to Ayrton Senna. Like, that's what he says. And he's just like that. So it's like, I, um, maybe because I'm Sicilian, I'm superstitious, like crazy. Like, I kind of <laughs> look at that as like, that that's why I think like in a in a post Maradona world, Argentina wins a World Cup, Napoli will win, Argentina wins Sud America in twenty twenty one, Italy, his adopted country, wins the Euro but can't qualify for World Cup. Oh, so like, yeah. And that's why like I think Brazil now in a post Pele world, Brazil might the next cup yeah. or something like. So like that's just my superstition, but like with Ayrton Senna dying, in in Italy. Yes, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. it's like. This is, it's a bizarre fucking twisted reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is weird, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing how that works with the, with the sports and the, the coincidences and the timing and everything like that. It's just, it, it, it makes me believe that there's other forces at play <laughs> outside of what we, we understand in our feeble human minds, you know, so. It's amazing, but yeah, I, I I didn't recognize. I didn't even. I forgot about the. Well, I didn't know about the Ayrton Senna. I know he passed away. He was a race car driver. Yeah. But I didn't know it was before the eighty four, the ninety four World Cup like that. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, that. he passed away April ninety four. World Cup final was July ninety four. So yeah, there was like there was a few months in between, obviously. But the irony is that he passes away in Italy. Italy plays Brazil in that final, and it's just like to me, it's like I don't know. There's just there's there's yeah, there's some karma there. There's, there's something some weird there. There's cosmic something, energy. Like there's something yeah. in the ethos that, like, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. George DiMatellis, thank you so very much for all of this and all of your time. I can talk to you forever. Yeah, thank you. you. I, I'm Haitian. I could talk forever. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, like, <laughs> we talk a lot. Yes. I think that's what Italians and Haitians have in common <laughs> is we like to talk. Yes. Food, hand gestures, and chatting. That's yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man this was fun man i appreciate you having me on i really do thank, thank you, you thank you follow us on twitter at curva mundial pod and subscribe to us on spotify and apple podcasts thanks for listening